But if you don't try, you'll never know. And to me, those feelings are so much worse than anything else, like in the world. Welcome to the Confidence Council podcast. This show is designed for high achieving women who, despite having a successful career and a great life, just know that they're destined for more. Whether you aren't sure what that next level is, or you have an idea, but the vision just feels out of reach, then this podcast is for you. My name is Monica Burkhoff. I'm a trial lawyer, a mom, and a wife, and I'm here because I know from my own experience that feeling stuck or unfulfilled does not have to be your reality. With a positive mindset and the right counsel, you too can create the life of your dreams. My hope and intention for this podcast is that you walk away feeling confident, motivated, and inspired to embrace your authentic self and to take bold action toward your dream life. Are you ready to get started? All rise. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Confidence Council podcast. I'm your host, Monica Burkhoff, and I'm super excited for you guys to hear the interview that I've lined up for you today. So I am sitting down with YouTuber and stand-up comedian, Christy Quinn. In this interview, Christy talks about how she spent years using alcohol to cope with her anxiety, depression, and OCD. She tells us about that rock bottom moment where she decided she needed to take control of her life, how she quit her soul-sucking nine-to-five job and moved back in with her parents, and in her words, sat still for a whole year reflecting on what the bigger issue was that was making her mask her feelings with alcohol. She talks about the main things that she did to transform her mind and her life, which included things like diet, working out, sunshine, and reflection. In this episode, we talk about Christy moving to California to pursue a long-time dream in comedy that had always been something she thought of doing, but never had the confidence to go after. We discuss how she overcame the fear of failure and judgment of others to do what her heart was calling her to do. Now she uses her past life experiences, those rock bottoms, and those difficulties with mental health and alcoholism to bring awareness to those issues through humor in her stand-up sets. Christy's now five years sober and living her absolute best life. I cannot wait for you to hear this conversation. So without further ado, let's get into it. Here's Christy Quinn. Welcome, Christy Quinn, to the podcast. Thank you. How are you? Um. Probably the best I've ever been in my life. Through that, I just want to help people, inspire people, and you know anyone who's been in a bad place, just kind of maybe this will help them get out of it. So. Yeah, and that's the whole purpose of this whole show. So you are a comic in Los Angeles? Yes. Yeah. Living out the dream life. So you had a show <laughs> last night. It seems like you're so busy. It's like show after show. So tell me, why don't we start by introduce yourself to the listeners. Tell us who you are, what you're all about, and what do you do? Yeah, so my name's Christy, Christy Quinn. Um, I currently live in actually Pasadena, which is very close to LA. And um, I moved out here about, moved out here about three years ago. But yeah, I started, my boyfriend does YouTube, so he kind of got me into that. 
And then it's just been like a gradual progression of trying to get the strength to do comedy. Because as we all know, we put the things we want last for some reason. As humans, we push away things that we, we truly want because we feel like it's impossible. And it's not. So yeah, I've made a living out here doing that. And it's been a road. It's been very, very exciting. I bet. So so tell us before you moved out to California, where were you and what were you doing? Did you have a normal nine to five job after college? Yeah. So I'm originally from Chicago. And it's funny because out here, everyone tells me I have an accent. Yeah. They're like, your accent is so thick. I'm like, it is? Well, this is normal <laughs> to me. It's totally, so weird. Yeah. I'm like, I think I sound great. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, in Chicago, I was... I. I had a really hard time in Chicago because I was, I have a severe obsessive compulsive disorder along with um, a really, really bad anxiety disorder, which have led to um, heavy drinking, heavy, you know, substance abuse to make it go away. And I did that for a long time. So I was bouncing between corporate jobs and bartending jobs because when I had corporate jobs, the anxiety was so bad. I mean, I've literally, it gets physical. I've fallen and hit in my head in a frying pan before. So wow. like, yeah, I've been, I've had a really, really hard time with mental health. So when I'd quit these normal nine to five jobs, I'd go to bartend. Be, and I feel like I'm a, um, I'm a person who likes to be on their feet and move around and talk to people. And when I'm sitting still, like at a desk job, I get really depressive thoughts yeah. So I, I couldn't take any more of that. The alcoholism was getting even worse. And there came a time where I had to just, I was like, enough. I need to change this. Yeah. What was that like rock bottom moment for you that made you realize I need to rewire? Yeah. So I woke up in the hospital. Um, my mom and sister were there and it was just from drinking too much. Oh, wow. And yeah. And I mean, a lot of the drinking was to stop the panic attacks because... I would sweat. This is going to sound insane to people who don't understand anxiety, but I I only wore the I only wore colors. Like I wore black until I was about 30 because the sweating from the panic attacks would literally go through all of my clothes. And every day was like terror. Like I would sweat wow. through my clothes. I would so no one knew what I went through. And it was just this horrible, horrible, horrible battle for me like for a very long time. It was really hard. But then I did all these things to make it stop. Like I moved in with my parents before I moved to LA. And um, for that year, I call it like the big five things I did. Diet is huge. Tell us about that. I don't think people are aware and I don't want to sound like one of these people. I hate when people tell you like what to do and what to eat. It's like, yeah, shut yeah. up. We get it. Right. Yeah. But like, but the thing is, is we all know, but right. are doing it. So exactly. tell us what you did. What did you change and how did it make a difference for you? Right. Yeah. So the first thing I learned a lot about, cause I spent a lot of time in like isolation at my parents' house. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's what you need to do because when you're out and about and you're wild and crazy, you don't have time to sit still and think. And I sat still for a year I didn't even work. I didn't do anything. I was like, I need to fix whatever emotional problems are going on. I was like, I I can't do this anymore. So spent a lot of time alone. Food, I can't express enough what it's done for me, Um, along with working out, keeping my things organized, working on goals, 
being in the sun. And these all sound like things that people should know how to do, right? But no one does them. But the more I learned about food, and I always call it like the base of how I got better, I started eating super clean. Like, I'm, I'm talking like just stuff from the earth and making my own meals because you never can see what's going on behind a kitchen. You just never Oh, yeah. Know. So were you just like eating bar food and living off a of takeout and frozen yeah. stuff? And yeah. Before I was aware because alcohol makes you numb, right? So mm-hmm. once I realized that, I got mad. <laughs> I was like, I am better than this. So I started cooking my own meals, getting my stuff in order. And I haven't thought about alcohol. It's almost five years now. I haven't oh, thought about it since. Thank you so much. It was a roller coaster, a lot of really emotional stuff at first. Um, just really, really, really tough stuff, especially because you feel all your feelings again when you get sober. Um, so it was, and I even still, you know, it's not like an upward spiral spiral where you always feel better there's days where I feel horrible too but um yeah I mean I can't stress enough how the eating's helped me the working out the weather here I'm in California now has helped tremendously so I feel I feel good I feel really good good that's so great to hear yeah um so you've always been funny for as long as I've known you thank you when did you listen to your own heart and figure out that you want to actually pursue this for real so I've known it forever, um, between everyone being like, you, are you a comedian? And I feel like after a while, it's just like, okay, if I don't give this a shot, I'm, I'm 35 now, I'm never going to do it, right? So when I was out here, I was just like, So you, did time. you move with the intention to do it? In Not the really. You moved just, for like the sunshine, the weather, yeah. change of scenery? Yeah, I mean, it's always in the back of your mind, but it's scary, especially sober, right? Like before, a lot of comics drink and do drugs, but for me, this is like, I'm starting like new again, so I want to do it right. And just to get on stage now, I've been on stage in front of a lot of people, and with the social anxiety disorder, it's tough for me. It's, It's a lot harder for people like me, but I've realized every small step leads to bigger steps. So, and I also do ERT therapy, where it's like exposure therapy for people with OCD. It basically like says the more that you expose yourself to things, the better you're going to get at it. I mean, that's good advice for everybody. Right? Right? Not just OCD, that's for everybody. Yeah, exactly. Because a lot of us tend to hide from stuff or we say, hey, you know, maybe we're not good enough, but that's all, none of that's true. And I feel like once you do, like, I always think about my first comedy set out here. And then I think about where I'm at now. Like, I performed in New York with John Oliver, and I've done, but I was like, I couldn't have done that John Oliver set unless I started at the beginning. So, you know, a lot of people get nervous just to try it, but I'm like, every time you do it, you get less scared every time you do it. And it's like everything else, consistency. And then one day, it's like, no big deal. Are you there yet or no? I'm there. I finally hit it. Yeah. Wow. How long have you been doing it now? Um, About a year. Wow. Yeah. It's been really cool. I started and I actually had a show last night and normally my knees are knocking and like I'm terrified because it's scary. Mm. I, I think it's scary because it's not just like a speech that you give. You're expecting people to laugh. It's stuff that you wrote from like your heart. 
so it hurts when it doesn't. But also, failure is part of the game. The more times that you're trying to succeed, the more times you're going to fail. But if you never try, nothing happens. And you kind of fall by default. So to me, especially after, you know, horrible, crazy um, hospital experiences, near-death experiences, you kind of, your brain is rewired to be like, just go for it. Do you, do you ever, when you're like doing a show and I'm assuming there's like other comics that go up, go up before you or whatever, do you ever find yourself in that comparison mode? And you're like, oh shit, is my, is my stuff that funny? Like, or, or, and how do you combat that? Yeah. Like there's been times when comics are really good and it's hard to go on after them, but there's some kind of fire inside of you that just says, no, I'm going for it. And when you go up there, you turn into like this different person. Because you just want to show them. So it's like a healthy competition. It's really great. And it probably like, it, they're warmed up now, you know, and if anything yeah. inspires you, like, mm-hmm. you can do it too. Exactly. I read somewhere that um, when you, you say you kind of like forget where you are, or you feel like you're somebody else. It's that's mm-hmm. like when you're, it's called like being in the flow. And that yes. means like you're doing what you're meant to be doing. Because yeah. you kind of lose track of time. It's like out of body. And the next thing you know, they're clapping you off stage and you're like, what just happened? Exactly. Right? Yes. Oh my gosh. The first time I did it, I like, I don't obviously drink or anything anymore, but I blacked out in my mind because I was so scared. Mm. But now I'm like talking to the audience and I'm having a great time. And it just goes to show that like nothing's ever as scary as you make it out to be. I'm always like, it's going to be horrible. And like the moments leading up to it are really scary and I freak out. But when I'm there, I'm like, this is no scarier than anything else. This is this is actually really easy. So I think it's like the moments like before the event occurs are the scariest, but once you're there, it's it's a piece of cake. Do you have any like pre-show rituals to like shake off those scaries or that worries or those worst case scenario thoughts that Oh my in? gosh, all the time. I actually had a I had a therapy session the other day and we actually walked through what I was scared about. It was so funny. And it, when you read it, you're almost like, this is insane. Like, none of this is going to happen. Like, what? I, what is up, I was like, I'm scared no one's going to show up. And and they're like, they already sold 200 tickets. You're fine. What's right. The next thing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm like, it's not going to go right for other people. It's They're not going to like it. And she was like, well, what about you? Are you going to like it? You know? And she's like, I'm I like, sense Yeah, they're of- hilarious. Yeah. I was like, <laughs> I, exactly. I was like, I sense a lot of, like, people pleasing mm, that's um, a big one. in my list and uh we kind of worked through that and yeah it really helped me because it's all just about how you feel and I'm a good person I'm like if they don't like it that's on them mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean so and like they maybe came in with the wrong attitude and that's nothing that you can do about it you just put on your yeah. best and like it is what it yeah. is yeah exactly where do you come up with your material so I've had jokes for like 10 years because I was in the bar industry, you know, with OCD and anxiety, the tons of material there. Um, a lot of it's self-deprecating. I have a lot about drinking in my old past. Um, and some of it just comes up when I'm walking down the street, like it'll just like pop in my mind. So I always write it down so I don't forget. It is very scary. Like I'll give you that. It's not for the faint of heart. I've had friends who have been like, uh, who are really, really funny, but they're like, I will never try stand up because it's just, it's way too scary. It's, you're so vulnerable. 
I mean, that you're going, you went from literally one extreme to the other and just yeah. putting yourself out there, like being naked. Exactly. I feel like fear is a huge, um, I hate fear because it makes so many people and their talents just diminish. And like, if we could just be fear, that would be incredible. And so one day I just picked up and I was like, I'm better than this. I know I can do this. And then the fear, like I said, it just diminishes over time. It's, it's not even real. So I feel like people like need, you just got to go for it. You do. Even when it's hard. So are you saying that like that fear is still there, but you have more control over it now because of the practice? Like every time you go up, you get a little bit better. You get a little bit more confident and that fear gets smaller and smaller and smaller, right? But still there. I mean, because- Oh, yeah. This is like putting yourself out there times a million, you know? Yeah. So it's never probably going to go away. Everyone feels fear, but it's pushing through it because we all have it. And if you're able to do that, then you can do anything. It's, it's incredible. Like sometimes before shows, like I'll have, like, for instance, yesterday I had like eight hours before my show and I was just in, I was tortured. What do you do then to overcome that, to get you then ready for the show? Uh, Yeah. So I'll do, leaving the house is huge, going for walks, working out, um, basically anything that's not sitting still because it's getting that energy out, right? Yes. The nervous energy, because when you're sitting still, you have all those thoughts, right? But when you're moving and you're doing stuff, it goes away. And at least it may still be there a little bit, but like it's nowhere near as bad as just sitting and yeah. And obsessing worst case scenarios. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it's really good to, Um, and even sometimes I'll just close my eyes and just think good thoughts because like being able to control those negative thoughts is so important. It's so important because if you're like, I'm going to do bad, I'm going to bomb, I'm going to, you know, it gets worse and worse and worse. And it really helps. Like, so say right before you step on stage, do you like, you know, say like, I'm Christy Quinn, like I got this. Like, what do you, what do you say to yourself? What do you do? What makes you feel like you're most confident? I usually blast some EDM before in my headphones <laughs> to like take me out of the element. Um, and then I'll also talk to other comedians and how it's not a big deal because it's, it's not. And then when they say your name, you just feel this crazy adrenaline and then you get up there and it's just, it goes away. I always remember like when I was a bartender and when I do stand up, there's no OCD, there's no anxiety. And that's how I knew it was for me because when I had desk jobs, I had crazy mental problems. Like I could not, I couldn't do it. And that's when I knew that I had to do something that was more for me. So this podcast is is designed for those people that are in those mm-hmm. professional jobs who, you know, took the four years of college, maybe went on to higher education are kind mm-hmm. of like thriving in career, so to say, but are just feeling like they're not feeling fulfilled or like feeling like they're living their purpose. What do you say to those people? And like, what can they do to take that first step toward like living a dream? I think that what you have to do is recognize your own power. And like, this is going to sound like dismal, but I always think about we're all going to die, right? 
there's nothing in our control that we can do even if we start a new project like we don't know what's going to happen but if you don't try you'll never know and to me those feelings are so much worse than anything else like in the world because I, I there were days months where staying up was crossing my head but i was fighting the fear and i was like but if I don't try, then I just lose by default. So you just have to do it. And then, of course, like I know a lot of families have kids and money, and I know it's hard. I know it's hard to like work on that dream, but I think it's about setting a certain amount of time a day, even if it's five minutes, to journal or get yourself together. I have, My sister has two kids, and she recently told me that she's like, yeah, well, I kind of use my kids as, as an excuse. And we laughed as to why she wasn't working on her, you know, her real passion. And, you know, I, I feel like so many people make excuses because there's so much opportunity for failure. But then I tell them, yeah, but there's so much opportunity for success, too. And Jim Carrey talks about his dad and he's always like... He would have been a great comedian, but he played it safe. But his job, his corporate job, his dad's sunk anyway. So he's like, why not take a chance at what you love if what you're doing is going to fail anyway? So you've just got to go for it. When you got to California, mm-hmm. when you signed up for your first show, or how, how, how did that go? How did you were like, you know what? I'm just going to walk into that club. Like what? Tell us like right around there how, how you made that step into comedy. I feel like I um, I had waited long enough, and it was during COVID times, which I was super depressed during. And when all that ended, I was just kind of sitting around, and I was like, if I don't make a move now, I'm never going to. I'm never going to. Ever. And I'm 35 now, and it's cool because I feel like our bodies have like an internal clock that pushes us forward, right? And so I just... And it, I also love how as humans, we just make decisions out of nowhere. It's like almost like our body's like, it's time. <laughs> so so you just remember, would you remember the moment? Like, what were you doing when that thought crossed your head mind? Yeah, I was sitting on the couch at my apartment, which I'm at now. I was just like, enough. Like, I, because it was on my mind so much that it was almost driving me insane. And I pulled the trigger and I was after, of course, I was like, why didn't I do this sooner? So what did you do when you mean pull the trigger? What did you do? I got involved with Flappers Comedy Club, which is, it's more of like a an intro comedy club, but they taught me like a lot of stuff. They got me on stage there. So they got me comfortable in order to perform at bigger clubs. And um, I feel like that really helped too, because when you meet people who are in your similar position... Like also starting up. Yeah. Yeah. Then you have like a base of people. Because I have a lot of social anxiety, like I said. But when I have like a crew of people around me, it's very comforting. So like a lot of those people I made friends with, we go to mics and shows and they put me on their shows and then you meet more people. And because with comedy, a lot of it isn't just on you. A lot of it is going out, supporting, meeting people. It's a very, very who do you know business, especially in Hollywood. How do you deal with that pressure and then like the the wanting to keep up and the comparison and all that stuff? Social media is probably the worst thing for me or anyone because you see like, oh my gosh, there's this show, this show, this show, this show, this show. So a lot of the times I'll just kind of block that out. And I realize like, 
I'm just going to do what I can at my own pace. I feel like oftentimes people are like, I'm not doing good enough for me. And after all I've been through, I don't need to be famous. That's never like the end goal for stand up. I just need to live a life that I'm proud of. And over all these years, I've been doing stuff that other people wanted me to do. My mom, you have to have a corporate job. Otherwise, you're going to be a loser your whole life. You have to do this. You have to have a degree. And then as you get older, you kind of realize you can do whatever you want. So like, and I love my mom, but I'm, I'm saying breaking those generational, you know, expectations was a huge thing for me. And um, now she supports it completely because she's seen how far I've come and how happy it makes you. Yeah, how happy it makes me. And it's also important because my friend Shoshana does stand up and she has a kid and she doesn't do it a lot, but she always says, you know, it's better than doing nothing. And I'm like, that's exactly right because you've got to try something, no matter what it is. I don't care if it's knitting or whatever, but like there's just so much to do and so much to learn and you learn so much about yourself when you try new skills and it can be hard and scary, but when you do it, it's like, why wasn't I doing this before? It's really, it's really, really cool and inspiring and just being on stage sober is mind blowing. It's mind blowing. I can't believe I got to this place. It's, it's amazing. It is so infectious to hear you talk about it. Like, yeah, it, it really is so beautiful. And I, and I feel like that's the goal for everyone, right? To get yeah. to this point where you're just feeling peace and your joy and you love what you do instead yeah. of doing what you think you're supposed to do to get a paycheck. Because the money comes, right? It the comes. money will come. Oh, yeah. And I feel like for a lot of people, it's like, well, if I do that, then I'll wait out. I'll have to wait for the money to come. And I'd rather take a nine to five to get it immediately. But what they're missing is then you never get to work on your passion and the money will come. The money will come because people get so nervous about taking a risk, but you have to take a risk. You have to, because then you're always going to wonder what if, and I, ref there's like this, um, this, uh, this nurse who did hospice and I read the article like 10 years ago and she said, um, one of the biggest regrets of people on their deathbed was living a life that other people wanted for them. And I refuse to ever let that happen because it's your life. You decide what you get to do. And it shouldn't, it doesn't mean you're a bad person because you want to take control of your life. And I feel like more people need to like do that, do what's best for them instead of just trying to please other people. It's very important. What are your recommendations for those stuck in those jobs that they think that they, you know, that they took up because their parents would be proud or that society expected of them. How do you suggest that they like look inside or figure out what they want to do? Time goes by so fast when you're doing that. And then before you know it, you never worked on what you wanted to. So my advice is like any time during the day or even the weekends, like whenever you have a free moment, just take even 10 minutes just to write out like, this is what I want to do. Because the ultimate win, in my opinion, if you're trying to get to like a spot where you don't have to work a nine to five anymore, is to be able to work that nine to five, but also work on your passion until your passion brings in enough. And I know that's hard and I know it's a ton of work, but if you can get to that point, that's, that's really it.
That's great advice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, Kirsty, if you can go back in time and give yourself a piece of advice, what would it be? Keep going. Work as hard as you can and never stop, ever. Because you're going to meet people in your life that are like, oh, which I don't talk to any of them anymore, but why are you doing that? Why are you why aren't you following a traditional path? And those people don't think outside the box. And I'm not trying to make them uh, feel bad or anything like that. Everyone's different, but you ultimately have to listen to you because at the end of the day, no one knows you the way you know you. No one's been with you your entire life to know how you feel and what you want. So you have to just kind of follow your own intuition and lead because like, I hate, like, for example, like people who give advice that, that know you, but also don't really know you. And they're like, well, just do this or do this or what about? And then you get confused, right? And people are spitting all this information at you. So I think it's important to have like, like for me, I had YouTube and stand up and anything more than that was way too overwhelming. I think we have way too many options these days. I feel like if you spend a solid six months to a year on one project, even if it's going slow, it's going to go somewhere because there's always time and we always have excuses, right? I did for so many years of like, why I can't do it or why, you know, oh, there's always next year or there's always, but when you get older, you realize I'm going to be 36 and I haven't done this yet. Like I need to make a move, especially in LA when everybody is famous. So, right, right. Yeah. How did yeah. you... And I just want to go back quickly to the sobriety. So how did you yeah. stop drinking? I mean, other than being at your parents' home, did you get any professional help? Or were you able to just kind of like get yourself out of that life and then mm -hmm. just kind of be quarantined at home to kind of, you know, do it yourself? Huh? Yeah. So I ended up doing it, on, doing it on my own at my parents' house. I give so, I have so much love for that year because it's when I became into my own. Like I... I don't know how it happened. Like I, I remember a friend telling me like, you're doing what all the things you're supposed to be doing in AA and you figured it out on your own. Like I just started like, so I have this thing, it's called like the, the balance. I have like five things I do. And if any one of them starts to go out of balance, then I need to like fix it. Right. So it's eating, working out, keeping my stuff organized working on goals, being in the sun, seeing family, stuff like that. So if one of those starts slipping, then I'm like, I gotta, I gotta get moving. Or if I can feel all of them going down, I know I'm in trouble. So mentally for me, I always try to make, um, I have like poster boards that like say what they are. And I just do like a check in every day. Like, how are you doing? Like, how are you doing on your list of stuff? And if they start going down, like I said, then I know I have to bring them back up. So it's it's accountability. And accountability is huge. It's huge. Like I tell everyone I used to be an alcoholic because I feel like the more people you tell, the more accountable you are for your actions. And the more people look out for you, too. Have you ever had moments where you've caught yourself slipping? Not yet. <laughs> Luckily. Oh, it's very, yeah, yeah it's really awesome. interesting because when I stopped, I haven't had one craving or thought about it. So I'm like, I wonder, I think it's a mix of things. It was a mix of me being in the bar industry where everyone else was an alcoholic big time. And then, 
you know, just being in that world. My dad's an alcoholic, so the genes were in me, and I just, I slipped. But then when I came out of it, I wouldn't be who I am today unless I made those mistakes. And I think that's such an important thing to know because some people are so hard on themselves about their past. Like I have some comedian friends here who reach out for help that are like, I'm so upset about what I did when I was drunk. And I'm like, just trust me, like in time that will diminish and you have to forgive yourself because it's not really who you are, you know? Yeah. Do you feel like, because you said that part of the, one of the topics that you talk about mm-hmm. is your sobriety. So are you almost helping cure people in the audience that may have an issue but not realize it 100%. with your jokes? You oh, yeah. Of it that way? Yeah. yeah. I work on those all the time. I talk uh, – big topics are drinking and alcohol, sobriety. And then I'm kind of, like, learning new ways to make it, like, please don't drink, you know, <laughs> because – Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you would – some people would think – why wouldn't uh, a sober person want to talk right, about alcohol in right. all of their jokes? But like, but you, but it's like I need to deliver exactly. this message, and I want to help exactly. people in a funny way that they're not realizing that it's yeah. actually productive. Exactly. Too. I actually had a guy come up to me after one of my sets the other day, and he was like, "You know, my dad's an alcoholic too, and I've been um, really struggling with it, and your set really helped me." And I was like, "That's so interesting." So, like, that's one thing I've been working on is just trying to build in that, um, you know, alcoholism talk just to help people because a lot of people hide their problems and I'm very vulnerable because I think that's a beautiful quality to have. And, um, you know, people don't expect that from people because everyone, especially in LA, they hide their feelings and they hide, and I'm, (laughs) Hey, I'm Christy. I used to be an alcoholic. How are ya? You know? Yeah. Yeah, I'm open. I'm cool. I don't care. And like, even if someone did judge that, I'd be like, uh, I just beat alcoholism. Like, if you can't support that, then there's something very wrong with you. You know what I mean? Totally. Well, you know, it could be projections. Like, they're not yeah. ready to confront. And it's too much. Having you in their face like that is like, well, I'm not ready Exactly. To it. Yeah, especially yeah. people who are, like, super, super, super into alcoholism. They're just, they won't even hear it. Oh, Christy, this has been so amazing. Is there like a specific book or a podcast or a movie or something that you can recommend to the listeners that like really shifted your perspective or that you would recommend for someone that wants to take that leap into a dream, but doesn't feel mm-hmm. ready? Anything like that. Totally. To so one of the books, and everyone knows Marie Kondo, right? <laughs> this yeah. is going to silly, but like when I read that book, it was right when I started getting sober and I was like some what's the name of the book so this one's called the life the life-changing magic yes, of tidying just up kind of shows you like because I have such an anxious brain like how important it is to know where your things are and just I feel like environment is very important because what you're living in is how you feel like how you feel is so important so if you're living in like a messy house or there there's garbage i feel like it's going to like subconsciously make you not want to do things if that makes sense like if everything around mm-hmm. you is good and clean and happy then your mood is going to be boosted oh yeah imagine coming home to like a coming back from vacation and the house is a hellhole yes. and you're like why didn't we <laughs> yes. left you know you cannot do that you have to clean exactly <laughs> and then i have two more so she is actually an autistic poet from instagram i found she's amazing 
Her name wow. is Morgan Harper, Harper Nichols, and it's called All Along You Were Blooming. It's for people who maybe not necessarily don't want to read a full book, but it's like quotes and it's, they're very motivational and helpful. At least they have been for me. And then lastly, um, just poetry, like Mary Oliver, devotions, stuff like that just makes you feel like grateful to be alive. Yeah. I love that. This has been so motivating and so inspiring and I cannot thank thank you you enough. So where can they connect with you on YouTube, Instagram? Where, where, where are you? So my Instagram is Christy Quinn comedy and my YouTube is just Christy Quinn. Um, you'll see my (laughs) face in the banner. If you plug it in. Thank you so, so, so much. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the confidence council podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please make sure you click the follow button so that you're notified every time a new episode drops. If you want more content between episodes, check out the show's Instagram account and website, which will be linked in the show notes for you below. If you're walking away from today's episode feeling more confident or empowered in some way, please share it with a friend or share it on social media so that others can benefit from it too. Thank you again, and I'll see you back here next week. Bye for now.